You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to Toronto Centre's webcast on climate change, the challenge for institutional investors and regulators. Toronto Centre for Global Leadership and Financial Supervision was established in 1998 as a non-profit organization to promote sound financial governance and stability and financial inclusion. Since inception, we have trained more than 10,000 supervisors and regulators in 190 countries and territories in all sectors of financial services. Today, I will interview our special guest, Hugh O'Reilly, President and CEO of OP Trust, one of Canada's largest pension funds with more than $19 billion in assets under management and with offices in London, Sydney and Toronto. Hugh is playing a leadership role in advancing the ability of all asset owners to understand the risks they face from climate change. Also joining us is Ilana Singer, Chair of Toronto Centre's Securities Advisory Board. She's a senior securities lawyer with extensive regulatory experience, including at the Ontario Securities Commission. She's the Vice President and Corporate Secretary of the Canadian Investment Protection Fund. We very much appreciate the valuable contributions of Ilana and the Securities Advisory Board to this important webcast. Climate change and financial stability are two critical public policy preoccupations. They are reflected in the UN 2030 Sustainable Development Goals and Canadian government's feminist international assistance policy. Countries are increasingly aware that their financial systems can and must play a pivotal role in combating climate change and that their financial systems must be made resilient against the effects of climate change on our economies. In turn, financial sector supervisors are becoming increasingly aware of the need to incorporate climate risk in their work. As Mark Carney, chair of the Financial Stability Board, has noted, the climate change phenomena poses substantial risks for whole swaths of financial systems. Climate change will increase insurance liabilities due to the physical risks as well as the consequences for businesses that may suffer due to extreme weather effects. There will be liability risks if those who have suffered loss related to climate change seek damage from those they hold responsible. There will be transition risks related to the process of adjustment toward a lower carbon economy, such as new risks associated with green bonds and the inclusion of environmental and sustainability criteria in credit risk management. Toronto Centre addresses climate risk in some of our insurance programs and we held a special cross-sectoral executive panel on climate change and financial stability at the 2016 spring meetings of the IMF World Bank in Washington. We are now developing programming that examines climate risk in financial regulatory and supervisory agencies in our securities and other programs. 
I would like to thank Toronto Centre's key sponsors, Global Affairs Canada, the Swedish International Development Agency, and the International Monetary Fund. I also would like to acknowledge two of our founders, the Schulich School of Business and the World Bank. We hope you will enjoy the interview. Thank you very much for hosting us in your beautiful office. What do you view as the principal risks relating to climate change that pension funds and institutional investors face? Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Um, really, it's, a, it's an honor for me to be interviewed and to have the opportunity to speak about the issue of climate change. We view climate change as a significant risk. Uh, it's a risk that at the moment is hard to, uh, to put your arms around as an investor, and that's for a variety of reasons. Uh, first of all, we're long-term investors. So the investments we make are for, uh, for periods of 50, potentially 100 years, because that's the length of our liabilities. How, what happens in the climate is going to have a direct material effect on our, on our assets. Uh, for example, a lot of people focus on oil and gas. We don't believe in divestment. We believe in better practices, using the power of our capital to achieve better practices. We also think that no matter where we invest, we want better disclosure. For example, one might think that if you uh, invest in real estate, that you don't have to worry about climate, but, to, but depending on where the, climate, the real estate is located, you may well have to worry about it if it's in a coastal area. So from our point of view, climate change is a risk. It's a risk we need to better understand so we can uh, value it, we can assess it, and we can make the right decisions in, the, in our members' long-term interests. OP Trust has been a leader in proposing action on climate change. In fact, in January of this year, you uh, published a paper. Can you provide us with some background about why you as CEO believe that this is an important area for OP Trust? Well, we think it's an important issue for there's a variety of reasons. OP Trust views itself, uh, we call ourselves a pension citizen. And what, what that means is it has several facets to it. One facet is we want to make sure that not just our members, but everyone uh, in Canada has a secure retirement income. Second, we think it's important uh, to make the world uh, appreciate this may sound like a cliche, but we think that there's an alignment in interest between doing the right thing on climate and our members' long-term interest. We got active on the climate file because, <clears throat> like other plans uh, in other jurisdictions, I, we wanted to produce uh, a carbon footprint. But what we discovered was with the lack of proper information, lack of disclosure by issuers, we couldn't actually put together a, a carbon footprint that would have any meaning or resonance or that we could act upon. For that reason, we retained, uh, we looked at, we participated in the Bloomberg process. We looked at their initial recommendations. We retained Mercer to do a study. Mercer ran four separate climate scenarios based on our portfolio. And what the <clears throat> scenarios really demonstrate is that there is a lack of information. The lack of information means you can't make really good judgments. And so what we've done is we've, the first stage of our process is where we want to see better disclosure, more meaningful disclosure, so it can better, so we can make better investment decisions by taking account of climate as a risk. Thank you. And I think Alana, you have a question. <clears throat> thank you, Babak, and thank you, Hugh. Um, how does OP Trust view the concept of responsible investment? And how do you incorporate that into your strategy under your leadership? Responsible, well, uh, even before I got here, uh, 
OP Trust was a leader in responsible investing. Uh, our director of responsible investing, Catherine Preston, is uh, is one of the leading thinkers in this area. I often joke she does all the work, I take all the credit, but she, she generally laughs at that joke. And we've also done work in the alternative investment space. Uh, Jordan Berger led that effort, so we were a leader there. But for us, what responsible investing is fundamentally, in almost every case, is about engaging. So we, it's, we don't believe as an almost general rule, we don't believe in, uh, in divestment. We think that we have an obligation to push issuers to do a better job, to push issuers to act in the long-term interest, whether it's from an environmental perspective, a social perspective, or governance perspective. And we do that not because, uh, we do it in part, I suppose, because it's the right thing, but we also do it because we think those companies perform better. If you look at environmental issues, I, when I started my, uh, a legal career uh, 25 years ago, the idea of environmental law was considered something like only hippies and granola eaters did. Now every major uh, uh, Bay Street law firm has an environmental uh, group. You would not buy an asset if you knew it had an environmental issue. It's part of the due diligence process. Similarly, we look at RI from that perspective. It affects how we make our decisions. It affects how we value an asset. And we also believe, and there is data to support this, companies that are well-governed, that are environmentally responsible, and are socially responsible in the long-term perform better. Hugh, Toronto Centre has an international audience, many of whom are in developing countries and emerging markets. You have investments around the world and are aware of the various global trends. Do you have any views on climate change and finance as an issue of concern for developing countries? We have investments in the developing and emerging markets. Uh, second, uh, we're, when you look at an issue like climate change, I think that uh, when you see a lot of manufacturing taking place in the developing and emerging world, we have to understand that we're in a sense exporting our climate issues and our environmental issues to those countries. So we need to be mindful of it from that perspective. We're also active in the international uh, community. We will be issuing on November 20. Uh, second, a report that we commissioned with the World Bank and three other Canadian pension plans. And what that, what that document does is it, dis it discusses the Canadian model of pension plans, really the Canadian models of pension plans. And what, what we're wanting to do uh, is work with the World Bank, working, work with countries in the emerging and developing worlds to help them uh, in a spirit of partnership, to help them create a pension plan that's uh, our social security system that's in the image of the Canadian system. We'd be very interested in training uh, the people in those countries around our practices, our best practices, in a spirit of humility. Canadian pension funds come out of a lot of mistakes. That's why we got to where we are. We're also interested in learning from in the, uh, about practices in the developing and emerging world. I think what's going on there from a fin fintech perspective is going to have application here. And then we also think by helping to develop a, a plan in the Canadian model, it will first of all uh, enhance local investment beyond just the fixed income market. And second, we think based on conversations uh, we've undertaken and uh, analytics we've undertaken, one of the big hurdles to invest investing in the emerging and developing world is the lack of a trusted partner. And if we have, if we help create plans in those countries in partnership, that'll act as a magnet for foreign investment. So that, that will yield 
whole bunch of results. It'll yield uh, better skills in those countries, better skills in understanding for us. It'll yield uh, a solid social security system, but it'll also create investment opportunities and outputs, which we think will be positive. So we have a, a big interest in the emerging and developing world. It's also, that's where the future of the world uh, literally and figuratively actually is, and we want to be part of it. Elena, I have a question for you. How important is this issue for regulators and supervisors? And should they really care? Thank you, Babak. That's a great question. Uh, climate change is really a significant area of focus for regulators and supervisors in the securities area. Regulators play a key role in shaping market behavior and really are there to ensure that investors, both institutional and retail, have all of the information that they need and the disclosure relating to climate change risks and opportunities before an investment decision is made. For example, there is a need for an assessment and valuation and pricing of climate-related risks and opportunities. Regulators and markets want to avoid inaccurate pricing or valuation of assets, which really can lead to a misallocation of capital. Ultimately, regulators, supervisors, policymakers, boards, institutional investors like OP Trust all have a critical role to play in driving this conversation forward. And I believe that a proactive regulatory approach is essential. I think securities regulators have an important role to play. First and foremost, I think they need to lead a conversation on this. And I think they, there are examples where they've done this in other areas, for example, gender diversity. I think by leading a conversation between investors and issuers, that's useful, that's helpful, that moves, that moves the discussion forward. Second, uh, securities regulation is fundamental to having confidence in our capital markets, but sometimes securities rules tend to be a little bit black and white. You're either, you're either complying or you're not. And I think a concern that issuers likely have is this, that if they posit uh, climate-related scenarios or risks and they're not certain if they're correct or if they're not certain how it'll turn out, that they may be held accountable for those kind of disclosures. I think the securities regulators need to give some thought to allowing issuers to grant some flexibility if they make disclosures, if they provide scenario analysis, that it's not necessarily black and white. In fact, it may not necessarily at the end of the day end up being right or wrong, if you will, because we just don't know. We're into unknown and uncharted areas. But I think the, we need a little bit of flexibility on the part of regulatory authorities to allow issuers to begin this kind of disclosure. Because I can tell you, we as an investor, we, will, we have endorsed the Bloomberg Task Force recommendations. We are going to act on them. We are going to hold the entities that we invest in uh, accountable around them. And getting proper disclosure will assist in that. So I think that's a role, that a convening role that our securities regulators could play. And do you find them to be responsive to some of these ideas? I do. I think there's a genuine interest on the part I'm most familiar with the Ontario Securities Commission. But I've been involved in at least uh, two uh, panels directly where there have been securities uh, uh, OSC representation. I know they're interested in this area. I haven't talked to them about relaxing rules or anything like that, and I wouldn't presume to speak for them, but I think this is an area where they could be creative, could be helpful, and moving the conversation forward really matters because here's my fundamental issue when it comes to climate change. We've been talking about this for a quarter of a century, probably longer than Atlanta has been on the planet. And, and not, notwithstanding all this talk, there's been very little action. And it's kind of surprising that it's 2017, there's been 
three or four major international agreements, and we still don't even have agreed upon standards of disclosure and how we value this risk. Given that, and given that we're at such an embryonic sta stage, I think the securities regulators could play a very important uh, role to, uh, to create the conditions for this conversation to go forward. Thank you. And you know, unlike uh, you, I have witnessed a couple of quarter centuries. So I think I'll give the chance for you to ask the next question. Uh, sure. And actually, well, I'm, I'm close to witnessing half a century. So, <laughs> so there we go. Um, but um, just on that point, um, a bit off script, but I'd just like sure. to follow up on that question regarding. He regulators. told me I could go off script. Yes. Of Excellent. Course. Okay. <laughs> Makes it more interesting, more interactive. Um, question about regulators. Can, can regulators, in terms of driving the conversation forward and being able to relax the rules a little, it sounds like, um, from your perspective, a more principles-based approach rather than a prescriptive rules-based right. approach on this would be preferable. Um, what guidance would you give to regulators on this front? I know there are often some, there's some, you know, pushback from market participants with respect to principles-based approaches because it's not kind of a tick-the-box type right. of situation. So what is there some other area where regulators could draw from where there has been more of a success in terms of principles-based approach in a new area like, like this one? Well, it, I'm a big proponent of principles-based regulation. I think in some areas, for example, energy regulation, we see there are uh, examples of principles as opposed to being prescriptive and, and rules-based. Uh, so that's one example that comes to mind off the top. I think to, to a degree we see principles-based uh, regulation in the pension space, whether I, I'd like to see more of it. But overall, I think this is an area where uh, we can pioneer. I think it's an area where Canadian regulators in particular, when you look at the focus on uh, in our capital markets on resource extraction, this is an area we can really make a difference. And I think as long as everyone's clear on what the rules are. So uh, the the issuer's disclosure statements would make clear that these are not uh, these are not uh, set rules or set outcomes because of the level of uncertainty uh, where the OSC and other regulators could make that clear as well, then there won't be a misunderstanding because one thing's for sure. And the scenario analysis that Mercer did for us demonstrate is the disclosure is going to be wrong. But absent the disclosure, absent starting this process, because it is a process, absent starting it, we're never going to get anywhere. I have one off-script question and I'll mm -hmm. pass on to you. Sure. Disclosure is a very interesting topic and it's, uh, you know, I'm sure as you found through the work that you did, uh, standards vary and there's very different ways of doing it. Is a disclosure really true disclosure or is it projection of the various data? So how does that work? And as an institutional investor, pension funds, um, uh, overseer, how much of a confidence do you have in the disclosures that you see across the board? Well, I, I guess to, I, there's two levels to your question. I mean, we have confidence in the disclosure we receive from our uh, from our, from right. the companies we invest in. We think the securities rules do a good job on that and help to enhance uh, confidence in the capital markets. But the interesting part about uh, the interesting second level to your question is. We're talking about something quite different here. 
I mean, we might be used to seeing issuers do projections around how long a particular resource is going to last or how long a certain capital equipment is going to last. This is very different because there's a high degree of speculation. And then the other thing I think we need to start to see some disclosure around, which I think would be uh, would be um, promoted by this sort of thing, is I also want to know what issuers are doing in terms of adapting. If climate change is going to occur, uh, and you have real estate in a coastal area, are they doing things to, to guard against that? Now, this may all sound impossible and difficult, but I think if you look at the property and casualty insurers, they have to underwrite climate risk. They are doing interesting things. I think there are lessons to be learned there, and, and I think we can gain a better understanding if we learn some of those lessons and apply them more generally. But again, what you'll hear from issuers is, geez, we don't want to speculate on stuff and we don't know. And that makes it really hard from a securities law point of view. And I agree. So that's why I think we need some, some creativity on the part of regulators to allow these conversations to go forward. Can you describe some of the key findings from the report that OP Trust, under your leadership, published in January of uh, this year? Well, the key finding is uh, there's a lack of disclosure. And it's very difficult for us to uh, engage as a responsible investor. Because of that, we're now doing a second phase of our of the climate work, and we'll be releasing a further report probably by the end of the year. But what we're trying to do internally is to create a common view around climate risk. Because our investors, and we have great investors, uh, private, public markets, they do a good job, but they're used to doing things a certain way. So we're challenging them. We're saying, uh, are you looking at this issue? And some of them, and I'm glad they're saying this, they're saying, not really, or we don't know what it means. And the reason why I'm glad they're saying that is, I don't want people just spouting what they think is the company line here. If we're gonna move the ball forward from the point of view of what we do, th how we do things, who we are and the contribution we make on behalf of our members, I need that kind of level of honesty, skepticism. So we've had good conversations that way. Uh, we also think uh, the other lesson we learned from it is there's a there's a plethora there's a number of groups that are doing work on this a number of different task force climate disclosure project they're all good uh, organizations we belong I think to virtually every one of them and they, they it all makes sense but we think uh, we don't want plurality of views there so we we have made a strategic decision that we're gonna, we're endorsing the recommendations the task force on climate disclosure, and we're going to act on those. We will produce our, uh, we don't have an annual report, we call it a financial, or we call it a funded status report that we, we uh, issue every year. It's going to attempt to implement the, uh, the, the recommendations from the, from the climate ta disclosure task force. So we're going to do that. We're going to have meaningful conversations internally, and we're going to make climate analysis, adaption, risk part of our conversation. We're involved in a, I'll give you a concrete example of something that's just uh, unfolded. It's a real credit because we're working hard to make our RI just part organically part of our process. It's a real credit to the work uh, that Catherine has done uh, over the years here. So we're, we're um, engaged now in an exercise where we're going to be investing in building a pipeline, but they actually did a climate analysis. And they compared the, uh, what are the, what's the carbon produced by trucking the oil to a transportation site to the pipeline? That's wow. pretty amazing. Wow. 
and it's just the beginning, but because we have, because we just don't say, here's the way it is, because we encourage uh, or try to create an idea-rich environment where there's plenty of controversy, respectful, constructive dissent, if you will, I think we're gonna to come to the right outcome. The work we're doing right now with uh, Ernst & Young on this has uh, cataloged all of this. I was delighted that there were there was a range of views on this and people asking, how are we gonna do this? And now we're gonna try and uh, make it more concrete. Thank you. Um, and it sounds like, uh, I recall, uh, Hugh, that you've also said, and this was confirmed in what you just stated now with respect to the plurality of views and sort of the guidance that the F FSB task force um, put out. Um, is it also your view that standardization and collaboration are sort of yeah. some of the key points in moving this forward? What, once we get a, sta a disclosure standard, mm -hmm. then I think we can move together to get the right outcomes. And, and you know, and this may sound like, wow, this is really far out, it's a bit, it's a bit crazy. Well, you know, we have GAP, mm -hmm. generally accepted counting principles. There was a time when we didn't. We have international and Canadian accounting standards. These things can be achieved, but we have to start somewhere. And unlike accounting standards, it's not quite as black and white. We need to do it. And we need to do it for a whole bunch of reasons, because we will have well-meaning people saying we should divest. But divestment isn't gonna solve our issue in this case. It's about engaging with, uh, with fossil fuel companies and the rest of it and moving it forward. Thank you. Um, you already mentioned uh, some of your work on the international front with respect to developing jurisdictions and working in partnership, uh, as well as the work that you uh, are going to be publishing um, in partnership with the World Bank and other Canadian uh, leading pension funds. Do you have any other remarks that you'd like to sort of talk about with respect to how Canada compares internationally and other conversations that you may have been having with leading pension funds around the globe? Well, we participate in a number of international pension, pension organizations. I, I think Canada has uh, an excellent pension system. I think our, our public system is enviable, but I think we have to be careful because sometimes I think Canadians are the smuggest people in the world. I'm a proud <laughs> Canadian, but we act like we these things where we they're part of our birthright and we were born to it. Reality is, we made a bunch of mistakes in the public pension sector. We've taken steps to fix them, and the, and those lessons, both in terms of failure, and how we reacted to failure, and the political courage and the and the courage of our members and sponsors. That's also got to be part of our message. I think Canadians also, pension funds, I know at OP Trust, our fundamental focus is the long-term interest of our members. It's maintaining our funded position so that we provide the current benefits at the current price. That's what our members want us to fundamentally do. We're about we're in the business of retirement income security and they want to make sure we're doing that in a way that makes sense for them. So we're, we're, we do that work as well. I think in the responsible investing front, uh, Canadian plans do great work on this. Uh, we, there's recent uh, survey done by Tufts. Their methodology was flawed because they didn't include us, but leaving that small point aside, uh, Canadian plans are the leader, are amongst the leaders in the world on this. And I think we have to continue to, to uh, talk to other uh, jurisdictions about what we're doing, but we have to be very conscious to do it in a sense of humility, to do it in a sense of uh, a partnership and not telling people that, you know, we're so awesome and it's unbelievable. Thank you.
Elena, building on something that uh, you talked about with respect to the property and casualty, uh, insurance uh, supervisors and regulators for some time have been factoring the risk of climate change. As the chair of Toronto Centre Securities Advisory Board, uh, do you think that climate risk discussions should be integrated into Toronto Centre's training programs? And do you have any ideas? Uh, thank you, Babak. I think that's a great question. And certainly as chair of the uh, Securities Advisory Board, uh, and as we've been discussing today, uh, this is a critical issue for securities regulators uh, to be discussing. And therefore, uh, as you know, uh, I've been recommending that this topic be included as part of a larger governance um, you know, discussion in our international securities programs, as well as future uh, you know, programs that take place in that are country specific or uh, topic specific. Uh, one specific example would be our July International Flagship Securities Program, where we are planning to incorporate a panel discussion and possibly a case study on climate change, either incorporating it as part of a larger governance discussion or as a standalone. And I think that will be a really worthwhile way to move this discussion forward uh, with respect to securities regulators from around the world coming together and discussing the topic. I also recognize that there has been a lot of movement and that TC, the Toronto Centre, has been leading the charge on this with respect to, for example, the executive panel on climate change that took place in the context of the World Bank IMF annual meetings in 2016, as well as a guidance note that was issued subsequently. Great. Well, I, I think, uh, of course, it would be fantastic because I know that we put a lot of time and energy into these international programs. Thank you, Elena. Hugh. Sadly, we're coming to the end of the program, and I found this discussion very stimulating and thought-provoking. Do you have any final comments for us as uh, we're about to close this program? Well, first of all, thank you for this opportunity, and uh, it's kind, those are kind words. But I, I guess what I want to fundamentally thank you for is, I think by uh, engaging in this conversation, I think you're setting a tone. I think it'll be useful to uh, the investor community, to issuers, and to regulators, and it'll create the the, uh, the environment uh, that provides a certain the certainty and safety for people to have these conversations. So I, I'm just grateful for you giving us the opportunity, and I'm glad you've created this uh, forum. Thank you, and Ilana, I'm going to ask you to basically close the program for us with your uh, any final thoughts that you might have for us, and, and also want to thank you very much for. Uh, inspiring us to do this, uh, initially contacting Hugh. Um, I think this was a very worthwhile um, initiative. And thanks to the leadership that you're having for our, with our Securities Advisory Board. Uh, well, thank you, Babak. This is, has been a pleasure. And uh, Hugh, I want to thank you for your valuable you. insights and My for pleasure. your candor. And indeed, for as Babak mentioned, for your leadership on this very worthwhile um, and important, relevant, timely topic. Um, I'm looking forward to continuing uh, to work in this area. I do believe that it's an important and significant public policy consideration for regulators, for boards, for institutional investors, and for the Toronto Centre, as we've discussed um, today. And so, uh, as we mentioned, Toronto Centre will be incorporating this into future programming uh, on the securities and other fronts, and I'm looking forward to that. Now, in terms of um, other... Um, areas that I would like to touch on. I want to thank Babak and his very talented team, some of whom are here today. Uh, thank you for all of your help in um, putting this together. Uh, I know it has been no small feat. I also want to thank the Securities Advisory Board members who have been extraordinarily supportive on this front and continue uh, to think that it's a 
an important issue and that we should, as the Toronto Centre, provide guidance and leadership on this. And uh, finally, I would like to thank all of you, the audience, for being here and watching us today. Uh, we look forward to continuing to drive this conversation forward. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. Thank you.